Amen. Well, if you would take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 116. Psalm 116. This gem of a psalm does not have a known author, and there's very little background information. That does not mean that it isn't a beautiful testimony of God's deliverance and man's response to that deliverance. This morning we've had the privilege of thinking and, and dwelling upon the love of our God. And now it's our turn, because in this psalm, this is a testimony of one of God's people declaring his love for the Lord. And I trust it will be a blessing as we are once again in Psalm 116. If you were to ask someone who the greatest daredevil in history would be, you probably would get several answers. Some people might say Harry Houdini. Some might say Evil Knievel. Some might say the Valendas or the Walendas, that family that all walks the tightropes together, apparently. Uh, All of these people would be legitimate responses. But if you were to ask uh, one Harry Colcord who the greatest daredevil was, there would be no hesitation in his answer. And his answer would be that the greatest, the greatest daredevil in history would be the great Blondine. And you might say, what are you talking about, Pastor Nate? Well, yes, the great Blondine had an impressive resume of death-defying feats, but there was one feat that made Harry Colcord certain of his infamy. And it took place in August of 1859 at Niagara Falls, New York. It was on this day that Harry Colcord experienced firsthand the skill and prowess of his daredevil friend. See, the great Blondine had been traversing the Niagara Falls by walking on a 160-foot tightrope. And he had walked the rope blindfolded. He had walked the rope um, pushing a wheelbarrow. And he even one time stopped mid-tightrope walk to eat his lunch. This is no doubt amazing and enough to cement Blondine as, as at least holding a place in the annals of the greatest daredevil history. But again, for Harry Colcord, that wasn't the thing that made him think that the great Blondine was the greatest daredevil ever. And that's because Harry Colcord... He did something more than just observe the great Blondine. He watched Blondine's skill, but he also experienced Blondine's skill personally. And it was on a day in August that Harry Colcord rode piggyback on Blondine's back across the 160-foot precipice. So imagine yourself doing that. That means that every step of balance and skill by Blondine was experienced by Harry Colcord. Can you imagine after Blondine and Colcord safely arrived on the other side? The big sigh of relief. But for Harry Colcord, he wanted to tell everyone he met that the great Blondine was the greatest. And in that moment, the great Blondine had one of the most forceful spokespersons. For Harry Colcord, all other death-defying feats paled in comparison to what he saw, but also what he experienced that day. He personally experienced Blondine's ability and skill. And he was going to tell everyone about his experiences. And as I was reading about this amazing story, I couldn't help but think on a spiritual level about our God. 
He is the true God. All other, can I say, little g-gods are actually nothing. And yet, how often do we proclaim his name and his majesty? After all, if you sit here today and are his child, we have the most to tell about his power, his love, and his care. And yet, how often do we keep our mouths shut? How often do we, when the redeemed have the opportunity to say so, we clam up? Why is that? Well, I believe, sadly, we, we don't love the Lord as we should. Oh, we may see, or we may say that we love the Lord, and probably all of us, if I were to have everyone by your head and close your eyes and say, do you love the Lord? Probably all of us would at least assent to, yes, I love the Lord, but what does your love for God mean for you? And this morning, we're going to see the testimony of one of God's people And he declares his love for God right at the outset. But then he backs up that declaration with reasons for why he loves God. Again, Harry Colcord was completely convinced of Blondine's prowess. Why? Because he experienced it. And are you confident in your love for the Lord like that? A few months ago, I had the privilege of standing in this pulpit and preaching a message on the command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the expectation. But today we're going to look at the testimony of one who does love the Lord. And we'll be in Psalm again, 116. And we'll learn that the Lord is worthy of our love, and our love for him then must transform how we live. Again, you're in Psalm 116. We're going to begin verses 1 through 4. Psalm 116, 1 says, I love the Lord. Why? Because he hath heard my voice and my supplications. Because he hath inclined his ear unto me. Therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. The sorrows of death compassed me. The pains of hell got hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. What did he say? O Lord, I beseech thee. Deliver my soul. We need to see first that I love the Lord because he is the God who hears. Do you ever feel like no one knows or no one understands your plight? That may be true of man, and maybe you've talked to all kinds of people, and you're trying to, to voice, you know, things are going, it's rough right now. I'm, I'm struggling. And everyone kind of, you know, you do the, the quintessential, hey, how you doing? Hey, good. Okay, Bye. And that's kind of where you, you leave it, and, and you, really, you really would love for someone to listen. Maybe you've talked to, to folks, and they, they maybe have tried to help, but maybe haven't. Well, that may be true of man, but God is never surprised. He's never shaken. He's never caught off guard from our troubles. On top of that, he listens to our prayers. God hears us. What do I mean by that? Well, again, Psalm 116, verse 1, He has heard my voice and my supplications. He listens to our prayers. God, you, if you serve the Lord today, you have a God who listens to you. He hears and he understands what you are saying. He sees us in our plight would be another way you could say it. And one of the names of God in Scripture is El Roy. 
And L. Roy is actually declared about God by one of, uh, probably a person who shouldn't have said that. Uh, she wasn't one of necessarily God's chosen people, but it was Hagar. And when Hagar gave birth to Ishmael, she ran away from Sarah. And then she was by herself, and God came unto her and said, Hagar, what are you doing here? And Hagar just poured out every, every bit of hurt and every little bit of struggle that she was experiencing. And God listened to every part of it. And then God did say, go back to, go back to Sarah and be subjective, uh, in subjection to her. But as Hagar was maybe walking back to Sarah, she did say, Lord, you are the Lord, the God who hears, the God who sees. So he listens. Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. We have a God who listens to our prayers. But not only that, he knows our situation. Uh, I love verse 2. It says, I love the Lord. Because he hath inclined his ear unto me. That idea of inclining his ear, it actually has the idea of bending to listen. He bends towards you. What do I mean by this? Well, I love when my children can be here at church. And they can go up and they can chat with some of you, especially, you know, you men who are, you know, you've had great accomplishments in your life. Some of you are big, strong, strapping uh, fellas. And I love it when my, especially Luke, when Luke goes and he talks to you and you guys bend or incline your ear unto him. Whether that's by bending down or just saying, Luke, how you doing? That's kind of the idea, except in a, in a much greater way. God inclines to us. The God of the universe who made us and fashioned us and engineered us, and even though we have rebelled against him, he still inclines his ear to us. There is a prayer that every single person in all of the world could pray, and God will always hear and incline to. It is the prayer of a sinner crying out for salvation. God always inclines to that prayer. But he also inclines to his children. He bends down. He listens. He turns his ear to us. And when we say it, when, when I see that, it makes me take heart because he knows our situation. He gets down on our level to understand and experience us with our, in our life. Psalm 139, whither can I go from thy spirit? The answer, nowhere. God is with us. God is always with us. Isaiah 41.10 says as much. Hebrews 13.5, he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Wonderful truths that we have a God who hears us when we cry, when we pray. What is our reaction then? Our reaction is love, but also calling upon him. And you see that at the end of verse 2. Because he hath heard my voice and my supplication, because he hath inclined his ear unto me, therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. I will call upon him. I will call out to him. He is the God who hears. Now you may ask, 
You may ask, Pastor Nate, what about my problem? It seems like God is not hearing me. You ever had that happen? Maybe you go through a season where it's like you pray and it's like it hits, your prayers hit the roof and bounce back to you. What about then? Is, is God really listening? And, that, and it's interesting because that's where our mind goes to, right? When we think God doesn't hear us, then we kind of were like, well, then what's the point in even praying? He won't even hear me. It's like I've tried and he just he doesn't incline to me. Well, God does not abandon us ever. In those situations, you go back to the promises of Scripture and you remind yourself of that. But then you also make certain decisions. And the first decision that the psalmist made is that I will call upon him as long as I live. You know, we have a God who is a relational God. He desires for us to pursue him. Now, it can't be the exact same as the way he pursued us because he pursues us in perfection and, and love. But he does require, or he does expect that we would return and seek him. And this is what the psalmist does. He does hear us. He does incline to hear our cries. But the question that I have for you is, have you sought him? And sometimes people are like, well, yeah, I tried. Well, then you want to say, okay, well, tell me how you've tried. How long have you tried? We can go to the New Testament. We can talk about the, the, uh, the prayers of even the, the widow and the unjust judge. I think sometimes we're like, well, I tried that whole serving the Lord thing, and it just, pfft. well, how, how, how have you really? Have you really tried to know and to pursue God? In this case, he says, I will call upon him as long as I live. Have you sought him? Have you decided to cry out to him and him alone? It's also interesting in our life, we tend to try to fix our own problems first, and then, well, I'm at the end of my rope, Lord. Well, this seems to indicate instead that, it sh- that God should be the very first thing you, you do. Uh, prayer should be the very first thing you do, seeking the Lord. The psalmist did make this decision. In fact, later in the Psalms, he even understood that no one would help him but the Lord. He represents that by that resolve by eschewing all men, and he declares that all men are liars. Verse 11, I said in my haste, all men are liars. No one else can help me. This is, the Lord is my help. And here he commits to call upon him and to him alone. So then in application, do you wait to pray? Are you slow to fall to your knees? The psalmist said, I will call upon him as long as I live. Why? Because he hears me, and I love him for that. Secondly, I love the Lord because not only does God hear, but he also is the God who helps. Sometimes we think that God might hear us, but he's not able to help us, or he doesn't want to help us, or he's incapable of some, in some way of helping us. But that's not what the psalmist says. And we pick up in verse 5, it says, Gracious is the Lord, and righteous, yea, our God is merciful. The Lord preserveth the simple, I was brought low, and he helped me. Return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. For thou hast delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, therefore I have spoken. I was greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. We need to understand that God is the one that is the source of our help. 
And what is the help? How does he, why does he help? Well, his help is based not on us. His help is based on his person. You see that in verses 5 and 6. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. The Lord is gracious. That means he gives of unmerited favor. And God gives unmerited favor for salvation. But on the day-to-day, he also gives unmerited favor so that we might walk in accordance to the will of God. The Lord is gracious. He's also righteous. And what does it mean that he is righteous? Well, he does the right thing at the right time for the right reason. And it's easy for me to say that standing behind the pulpit, but when you go through difficulties, like the psalmist did at one time in his life, it's very, it can be challenging, can I put it that way, to look at God and say, Lord, you are righteous. You are doing the right thing at the right time for the right reason in my life. Especially when there are things that we are going through that we wouldn't choose for ourselves. Things that we, we would even do things differently. And yet God, for some reason, allows us to go through that. This is when it's a challenge to look at God and say, Lord, you are right in everything you do. You are right in bringing this difficulty across my path. You are right in causing me to fall to my knees in total dependence on you. You are right when the doctor gives the cancer diagnosis. You are right when you have a difficult situation at home, financially, emotionally. You are right. He does the right thing at the right time for the right reason. He steps in also to protect and to preserve those who are unable to defend themselves. Again, continuing verse 5 and 6, Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yea, our God is merciful. There are so many times we deserve the punishment of God and he doesn't give it to us. There are so many times where if, if I were, and I'm trying to be reverent here, but if I were God, I would wipe myself off the face of the earth. And yet our God is, is gracious and he's merciful to us. He also preserves the simple. Those who are brought low, he helps. Verse 6 This has the idea that sometimes, you know, if you look at life, there are instances where people who maybe are a little bit more wealthy have more resources to help themselves, if you will. People who have a little bit of a position of power has the ability to pull some strings and make certain things happen, but the simple don't. And those who are destitute have none of that. And what does the scripture say? God preserves those people. He, those who are brought low, those who are humbled by, ex, by external circumstances or internal difficulties, he preserves them and he helps them. This is our God. I love the Lord because of his help. And his help is based on his person. But his help also is sufficient to calm our hearts. Look at verse 7, and we'll return to this hopefully at the end. But return unto thy rest, O my soul. Why? For the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. Have you ever sat back and looked at how the Lord has dealt with you? How the Lord has protected you? How the Lord has provided for you? Provided salvation for sure, but then on top of that, just the day-to-day meeting of the needs. And from that, the psalmist says, I need to calm my heart. This, I believe, is a huge moment in the psalm. 
The psalmist preaches to himself that God is sufficient, his help is sufficient to calm his heart, to bring about peace in the midst of a great turmoil. So his help is sufficient to calm our hearts, but his help also preserves our life. Verse 8 and 9, For thou hast delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears, my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Have you ever thought about who our God is? He gives life. He is the God of life. He's the one who brings about our physical life and our physical being. But then he also offers eternal life. And he guards that eternal life. And he protects that eternal life. And he offers it freely to those who accept Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And so in this, you see verse 8, Thou hast delivered my soul from death. Some commentators have said, well, surely this is an actual, like, physical death. Well, maybe we haven't all experienced that, but we all, if we are his children, we all have experienced his eternal salvation from eternal death. And so we could say with the psalmist, Thou hast delivered my soul from death. Not only that, mine eyes from tears, my feet from falling. How often has God brought someone across your path to encourage your heart right in the midst of great turmoil? Or the Lord brings a verse across your path that just is salve to your soul and and brings you through a time of great, great grieving. How many times has the Lord protected us from doing something foolish? From causing our feet to fall. An illustration of this is often when I I'm driving and I get behind maybe a slow car and I've gotten frustrated and I kind of am like, as soon as that second lane is open, I'm flying by this guy. And as soon as you turn the corner, you see the police officer sitting there and you say, Lord, thank you so much for protecting me from my own stupidity once again. But how many times even more so does the Lord protect us from our feet from falling, either by our choice or by even the circumstances of life? I wonder how, many, how, how, uh, how it will be when we get to heaven and we finally maybe understand a little bit more as to what God has been doing in our life. I think we're going to be, again, we're going to marvel because there's things we're not, even, we're not even privy to that the Lord is doing. The Lord is doing all of these things. His help preserves my life. His help also is in contrast to man, and we brought this up a little bit before. Verse 10 says, I believed, therefore I have spoken. I was greatly afflicted. A summarization. I am going through great turmoil. And then verse 11, I said in my haste, all men are liars. Maybe people have come and said, hey, listen, I'm going to help you in this situation. And you kind of are like, okay, okay. That's, that's great. That would be awesome. But how many times has men failed, have men failed you? And God never does. To the point even now, God, the, the men around the psalmist failed him to the point where he even said, all men are liars. They throw their hands up in the air and just, I can't trust anybody. Why would that be included in here? Because I believe uh, in contrast, he can trust God. And so he says, I'm not going to trust in these men. They, I, I can't trust in them, but I will trust in my Lord. He has been my source of help. Therefore, I love him. And then what is the response in this section? I believe it is verse 9. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. 
I will go about my business and I will trust that the Lord is my help. Because of that help, I can now live and I can move and I can serve him. And so this is a wonderful thing. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. See, I believe when we get a glimpse of all that the Lord has done for us, there's a natural response to that work as well. One is love. He inclines, he hears, he helps, he saves. But then also, can I say, I love the Lord and I will respond accordingly. In other words, my love for the Lord will impact my life. Again, this is a daunting statement for someone to come up and say, I love the Lord, and then to back it up with reasons. And it would seem foreign to us if after that the psalmist ended the psalm. Because one thing that is true of us as humans is that we are responsive. When we have something that has been done to us or for us, then the natural response is for us to respond to that in some way. If you have someone who offends you, then there is a natural response. If you have a, someone who supports you, there's typically a natural response. In this case, God has helped. God has heard. God has saved. And so there is a natural response. And what is the natural response? It's laid out in the question of verse 12. It says, what shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? He says, I love the Lord, so I will respond accordingly. I will, uh, my love for him will impact my life. I, I have to render something back to God. You can't have a love for God and have that love exist in a vacuum. This psalmist says, I love the Lord, and it's going to bring about a certain reaction from me. You will naturally desire to render unto him some sort of response. He says, what shall I render unto him? Now, here's a caveat. We can never repay God. We can never say, well, listen, Lord, before I would take any of those, those benefits from you, I'm going to try to pay for them. We can never do that. Or when God gives it to us, then we can't be like, well, I'm going to try to, to outgive the Lord, or I'm going to try to gain his favor through my return of rendering unto the Lord something. That's not what the psalmist is saying. What the psalmist is saying is, because I have experienced so great a gift of help, then I want to repay, I want to give of myself. There is a pattern of gratitude and service that is seen in the lives of those who have received such blessings from the Lord. Romans 12, 1 and 2 talks about this. That you present your life a living sacrifice you give back to God the one thing God actually desires above anything else, and that's our very lives, our very souls, back to him. And so in this psalm, we now have this little transition where it's going to get very practical, and you're going to see a lot of I wills because of what God has done. I will do something. I will do something. And can I say, just as a caveat, a little side note, sometimes we, we scoff a little bit at some of the I wills. Why? Because so many times we fall short in the I wills. To give you an illustration, sometimes I've seen teenagers go to summer camp and they have experienced the preaching of God and then they're like, Pastor Nate, I don't even want to make any decisions. 
Well, why not? Well, because I know that I, if I make the decision, I will do this, then I go home and I usually blow it. And so why do I even try? Well, if we grasp what the Lord has done for us and we understand who he is, inevitably within us there is something that desires that we would return, render unto the Lord something. What does he, what does he render? Well, first off, he renders something that is very personal. We're going to talk about being personal for a second, and then we're going to talk about being corporate in a second. So look at verse 13. Privately, this is what the psalmist says. I will take the cup of salvation, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Our love for God is a a very personal thing. You will take hold of the salvation, first off from verse 13, you will take hold of the salvation offered to you by God. God gives mercy, that is his nature. But what you do with that mercy declares your allegiance and I would say your wisdom. God has given us manifold blessings and how often do we sometimes take that blessing and we receive it in vain? What do I mean by that? Well, all of us are sitting here under the preaching of God's word. We are receiving from God a blessing. What are you going to do with this? Are you going to, to, to read through this and listen and then say, well, that was nice, and then move along? That's not what the psalmist says. The psalmist says, if he gives me salvation, I will receive it. I will take it. God does give salvation. He offers salvation to all. If you're here and you're unsaved, you need to receive that salvation. Maybe if we are God's children, do you realize that God gives us salvation at times from our sin? He gives us mercy from our sin. What do I mean by that? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation provide a way of escape that I may be able to bear it or that we may be able to bear it. Sometimes God gives us this salvation and oftentimes we blow right through it. I know in my life, I struggle sometimes even looking and recognizing when God does give that out. And so God does give the salvation. The psalmist says, I will take the cup of salvation. I believe Paul also can be a help. He says to the Corinthian believers, receive not the grace of God in vain. God gives and offers you chance after chance after chance. Don't reject or neglect the favor that God gives. So our love for God is personal in the fact that you will take the salvation offered. But then that will spill over a little bit. You will respond in reverent gratitude to the Lord. Verse 14, I will pay my vows unto the Lord. Our pattern for verses 12 through 14 is really a snapshot of the gospel. In it, man has received a wonderful salvation from God. And though he could never repay or outgive him, he responds with personal gratitude and personal worship. So our love for God is personal, but our love for God is also not private. And that's verses 15 through the end. Verses 15 and following, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am thy servant, I am thy servant, and the son of thine handmaid, thou hast loosed my bonds. 
I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord, now in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of thee, O Jerusalem, praise ye the Lord. First off, we need to see that our love for God is not private and God sees our love for him. That's what verse 15 is talking about, verse 16 as well. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. By God's grace, he sees and he grasps who you are as his servant. He sees the love you have for him. He sees that word precious actually has the, high, it has the, uh, the idea of a high value he places on something. So God sees and values even in this, sense, in this sense, the death of his saints, he understands what you have, you have done for him and through him and by him. He grasps all of that, and he desires, even by extension, to have with him his saints. So God sees and values our love for him. But then also the psalmist lives out his love for God in the midst of all. You have here first, uh, you have first the corporate worship. And you see that echoed here. I will offer to, offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving. I will call upon the name of the Lord. Can I say, if you love Jesus, you will love the things that Jesus loves. Jesus loves the corporate assembly of his people. And if you grasp who our Lord is and you love him supremely, then inevitably it will just flow out of you, hey, I've got to be at church. There has to be a corporate worship response. For us in the New Testament, that is the church. And if you love God, you will love the church. You will love his word. You will love getting to know him, reading about him, and, and, and praying to him. There's a corporate worship, but then there's also a corporate witness. We are called to point others to live out their love for and praise for the Lord. Again, the end of verse 18, I will pay my vows unto the Lord. Sounds familiar. Now in the presence of all his people, then verse 19, in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of thee, O Jerusalem. How does he finish? Praise ye the Lord. He encourages others to praise and to love and to magnify our, our Lord the same as he has experienced. So to wrap things up, 16 years old, what were you doing when you were 16? William Featherstone was penning a poem that declared his love for the God who recently saved him. He hadn't gotten over what the Lord and what God had done for him, and he sat down and he wrote a poem that poem was entitled, My Jesus, I Love Thee. And later that poem was delivered to a musician who set it, set it to music, but at first it was largely overlooked. That was until the well-known evangelist A.J. Gordon found the text and he, he reworked the tune. And ever since that revision, My Jesus, I Love Thee, has challenged, has encouraged countless individuals in their dedication to the Lord. It talks of the author's testimony and subsequent dedication and love for Jesus. Why? Because of the salvation and help offered to his soul. Like our passage this morning, it declares to God praise and worship for his work on the psalmist's behalf. And then it also seamlessly intertwines the reasonable response of love and dedication 
So I don't know this morning, beloved, what you are facing. You may be going through great dark waters. Understand first that the God that the God we serve is the God who hears. God is the God who helps. And God is the God who is worthy of our service. Can I encourage you, like the psalmist, call upon him, verse 2. Calm your soul, verse 7. Pursue him in love, and then call others to pursue him in that love as well. We have a God worthy of our love, praise and dedication. Won't you pursue him and declare to a lost and dying world that you love the Lord? Would you bow together in prayer with me, please? Father, we thank you for this psalm. We thank you for the testimony of this, one of your children, one of your people. Lord, I pray that you would help us to love you supremely. Lord, if we were really honest and if we really spent the time and we really looked at who you are, I too assume that I would say, I love the Lord. Then, Lord, I would also desire to have others to love you too. And so, Lord, would you help us? Would you help us to respond to this passage? Would you help us to uh, intertwine it into our soul and into our lives so that we might be able to say, I love you, please love my Lord too. Lord, I pray for those who are unsaved this morning, who are maybe listening or are here. I pray that they would see that they don't love the Lord if they're in rebellion against you. Help them to see that you do love them and that you did send your son and that they can have a relationship with you, that their sins can be forgiven, that you would incline unto them and help them to accept Christ. And then for those of us who are your children, help us to love you more and more each and every day, being cognizant of what you've done for us, and then call others to that same love. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.